Dave, I can't believe we made it out of Boston. Yeah. Did, did you catch the, the Ebola? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I did not catch the Ebola. Uh, nor did I catch my original flight out of Boston. Uh, that was crazy. So one nice thing uh, did happen. So I, well, I forget what your status is on U.S. Air, but um, they've started a new service, at least for the chairman level on U.S. Air, where they allow you to eat and drink for free in coach, even if you don't get the first class upgrade. Oh. Yeah, super nice, right? Oh, wow. So that makes everybody jealous around you, though. Well, yeah, so listen to this. So the so I'm on this, and I'm this just happened like in the last two weeks. So mm -hmm. uh, there I am on my laptop in the exit row, uh, typing away an email probably to you and uh, the flight attendant comes down from first uh, she's holding a dish uh, and it smells mm -hmm. delicious and she walks right mm -hmm. up to me and says Mr. Hellickson I said yes she said would you like a fresh warm cookie hmm. wow and uh, so I said no thank you uh, I am I'm trying to avoid sweets mm -hmm. uh, and she said well thank you for thank you for your business mm -hmm. and then turned around and walked away um, so at first glance for me, kind of like innocuous, but of course, uh, the couple next to me says, oh my God, that smells amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and I realized that I had just pulled off maybe the most baller move ever, which is receiving free warm cookies from an airline and then refusing them. Yes. And uh, not giving them to the, the people <laughs> next to you or something. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and so that made me a terrible person. Um, so now I have a new policy. If ever I am offered warm cookies or free Pringles or whatever the... Or, you know, whatever the thing is, um, I will offer it to uh, to my adjacent seatmates. Yeah, nice, nice new policy. So yeah, I guess they they looked it up and I was about to say, well, how do they keep track of whether you're a chairman or not? You know, on the airplane, like they make you wear a hat or a sash or something. Oh, do you not wear your uh, do you not wear your wings when you're flying? No, no, I'm only gold on U.S. Airways, so yeah. Oh, you get that, but you get that medal. You can wear around your neck. Yeah. <laughs> the medallion, right? Yeah. So how was your flight back? Was it all right? I mean, it was delayed, but you were, you're okay? Yeah. No, it was, it was fine. But the, the other week was that my flight was really late. You know, it's like we were, we were flying out of uh, Newport News going into Philadelphia. Uh, we, we, you know, we backed the plane out and everything. And it's like, oh, ground stoppage in Philadelphia. We're going to be sitting here on the runway for an hour and on a regional jet, you know? And it's like, oh, yeah, it wasn't fun. And um, we finally took off, and then it's we land, okay. and then I'm like in the back of the plane, and I'm like fighting my way to get out to to catch uh, my connecting flight. I, I ran the whole way there, and then I, I finally get to the the gate. The the I could see my plane there. The door was closed, and uh, the lady was sit, standing there at the computer. She's like, "Yeah, sorry," and like like shrugged her shoulders, and I'm like out of breath and like coughing and everything. And, uh, and then it's like all of a sudden there's like five other people that like show up behind me that are like trying to get on the same plane. And, and then all of a sudden it's like the, the lady standing at the keyboard, she looks out the window and then sees a pilot like waving us on to the plane. And, and I'm like, wow, that's like, that's like pretty awesome. You know, I've never experienced that before. Like usually I thought it was some FAA rule or something. Once a door is closed, it's sealed until it gets to the, uh, the destination. But I guess he had the juice to, you know, as the captain to open, open the door. Right. And, um, right. so we get on the plane and everything and it's like, wow, that's pretty cool. So I, I'm, while I'm sitting there in the back and usually when people do nice things to you, you know, like how you do the, the U S airways, the little cards you, you fill out and you hand to people, um, 
it's the first time I did it because I finally it's like rarely do like when that happens to me do you actually have the time to like fill it out because it happens so fast when stuff like that happens and so I had time on the flight to fill it all out um, so I did it for the pilot and a co-pilot and uh, but I didn't do it for the flight crew the the flight crew was all like grumpy about opening the door um, and it's like I'm like way in the very last row of the plane and um, the the two flight attendants were like in the back of the plane like talking to each other just like grumbling about it saying ah oh, this is gonna make it late and it's like wow they just like totally tainted like that awesome experience that I had and and it's like you know just like you you realize you're you're standing there complaining about the person right next to you that just got on the plane and his life was improved because. Of, of a nice, a kind action by a coworker of yours, and you're standing there complaining about it. You know, um, I guess it was, a, it was a while back. I, you know, I had that trip to uh, the UK, um, and what I realized there was something different about the quality of customer service in general um, in Europe, uh, and I think I put my finger on it. It's the fact that when someone is at work, right, whether a flight attendant or somebody at the desk or whatever you almost never see them talking amongst themselves. Uh, or if they do, it's, you know, surreptitiously or quietly, you know, definitely out of earshot. Uh, in the United States and, and I think mm -hmm. in Canada too, people are very comfortable having very loud conversations while on the job, right? You know, you'll hear two, two flight attendants talking to each other in the galley. Uh, you'll see, you know, two, two people working the register at a shop. They'll be talking to each other. And I, the, the difference between... The difference between that and it and people who are kind of present, aware of your presence, uh, solicitous, yeah. uh, just really does make a huge difference and avoids you know terrible experiences like that. Um, like what is it? You're you're working like you're literally on the job, <laughs> like you're in an airplane and your job is to make everybody happy. Why are you talking to your coworker about how displeased you are mm -hmm. um, about that passenger? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like that's yeah. that doesn't. Maybe the you know maybe U.S. Airways should be handing out not just the reward cards but also penalty cards, right? Maybe like yeah, or you take a card away from them. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know what, Dave? Lucky us that we get to have opinions like this because we uh, spend so much time flying. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll be talking more about that. And then some other good news is um, Lauren got to demo her juggling uh, outfit to uh, Steve Wozniak. Oh, awesome. That's awesome. So, yep. what was that? Uh, what was that like? Oh, it was pretty cool. So she, um, she, uh, you know, she got an email uh, from Thinkbox where you know she was an intern there mm -hmm. in eighth grade, mm -hmm. saying that hey, you know, Steve Wozniak, uh, co-founder of Apple, is going to be here to give a presentation. Um, would you like to show what you're working on uh, to him? Because he's going to come in early and, and do a tour of the lab and wants to see what what people have done. And we're like, oh yeah, of course we'll, we'll be there yeah. and everything. So yeah. So we go there, and uh, and I, I told you about it that it was that it was going to happen, and um, I remember you saying that it's oh yeah you you ought to see if Lauren can get his his business card because it's supposedly pretty cool. So she you know so she goes and does the the demo and and everything, and I videoed the whole thing, and I was intentionally I didn't shake his hand, I did you know this is all uh, put it all uh, let Lauren this is all hers right, and uh, and at the end she's like yeah so can I have your business card and he's like. Uh, sure, and he he pulls it out, and she she got a business card, so it was pretty cool. It's all 
like laser cut steel with uh, it, with uh, his his phone number is like a punch card and everything. It's, it's really cool. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Can you put a? Is there a photo of it that you can put up on the uh, up in the show notes? Yeah, yeah, we could do that for sure. That's awesome. Yeah, that'll be fun. That'd be great. Yeah, but she was she was happy. Um, she was just bouncing off the wall afterwards. It was like a big deal to her. Oh yeah, what a thrill! What a thrill! And so, what did yeah. uh, what did Steve think of her project? Uh, he was pretty engaged. I mean, he he thought it was like pretty cool and was was asking questions and um, and and uh, you know he was he was pretty into it. Like it's it's funny. It's it's like they had like you know grad student double uh, E major, and then they had like Lauren, who's like a sophomore in high school. Um, and so those it was pretty neat to you know to to see him engaged and all that and it, and you know how inspirational that is just to begin with right sure, as yeah. far as uh yeah seeing all that and and it was funny i asked lauren too i said okay so what what's harder um what you know what's harder for you uh demoing your thing to steve wozniak or doing an algebra problem on the board at school and she said oh do, doing a problem on the board at school in front of everybody, and and I'm like, what are you talking about? That's that's you know, it's like, and she's like, no, no, it's I got to live with these people. I, you know, and she, you know, is <laughs> it's and and I was thinking about it. You know, it's, you know how it is. Like when you present to your peers, it's like, you know, it, it's a different level of you know that you got to step up to. Whereas if it's a stranger, it's like, yeah, I may never see this person again. So it's like. It, it's a different way of looking at it. So I, I agree with her. Yeah, yeah, there are consequences. Uh, Especially yeah. in high school. Jeez. Cool. Uh, what do you say, Dave? You want to get rolling here? Yeah. 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 Let's do that. So what's what's on tap here? Okay. Uh, so we got, uh, we're in- encrypting everything. Everything, everything, mm-hmm. everything. Um, you found uh, the means towards a near-perfect simulation of flying in a commercial airliner, mm-hmm. which, I, mm-hmm. which I'm excited to hear more about. Uh, we're going to talk about retaliation and uh, retaliation as a service. Uh, mm-hmm. and then, uh, and then, uh, how you can, uh, keep score with, uh, Red Hat's security team. So Dave, if, uh, if folks want to see a photo of a Steve Wozniak's business card, mm-hmm. uh, as procured by Lauren, uh, where do they go? Yep. So you want to turn on your Netscape and, uh, go to HTTP colon slash slash. Oh, 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 oh. Not so what? fast. Not so fast. What? It's now. You have a new website? It's now HTTPS. Slash slash DG no show. Way. It's that's true because we've encrypted everything, 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 Dave, up to yeah. and including the dgshow.org website. Um, so now the uh, Dave and Gunner show is uh, completely encrypted. Uh, you'll be able to visit our website, look at our show notes, listen to our episodes uh, without your parents or the government knowing that you did so. Mm-hmm. Military in, uh, grade encryption. Mil- <laughs> military grade encryption, whatever that means. <laughs> mm-hmm. Navy SEALs. Navy SEALs. <laughs> That's right. Um, so, Dave, if I'm wearing my uh, my Faraday pajamas uh, on my fully encrypted connection to the Dave and Gutter Show website, um, that will allow me to, in perfect secrecy, uh, look at the uh, cutting room floor. Uh, and and mm-hmm. what, will, what, what will I find there this week? Uh, so we wearables. Uh, so we got we have a wearable bed and uh, also some uh, wearable USB devices. Uh, walk me through the wearable bed. Yeah. So. Like, you know, we travel a lot sometimes, you know, like how you got, you got stranded in, um, in Logan. Boston, yeah, right? Logan, yeah. Right. And so it's like, like a chump, you probably had to spend a good chunk of change on a hotel room I did. that night. Indeed right? I did. Yep. Yep. Now, if you had a wearable bed, you just like pull this thing it inflates to like this, this floaty and then you just, you could have just slept right in the airport. 
<laughs> it's it's a jumpsuit that turns it just it inflates and you're done. It's a bed. <laughs> It'll pay for itself after the first uh, first night. That's pretty sweet. That's pretty sweet. I I would want a uh, I would want a version that uh, I could use actually on the airplane. You know, just kind of like take my leisure in the back of the plane, maybe lay down in the galley in the back and uh, pull the ripcord and uh, make myself a, a cozy little nest. All right, uh, what do we got in, uh, what's in the FU? What's in the follow-up? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, continuing on the theme of uh, encrypting everything. So um, he, the the director of the FBI is, um, is claiming that uh, encryption will lead us all to a very dark place. <laughs> That's I think he might be projecting a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And I thought it's like, okay, well, maybe this is done and everything, but it seems like he's like doubling down, right? You know, it's like, no, maybe you didn't hear me and, and everything. And he's, you know, and he's, he's raising the specter of child predators, violent criminals, and crafty terrorists, uh, arguing that companies should build surveillance capabilities into the design of their products uh, and allow a lawful interception of communications. Oh, good. Right. Because lawful interception is so well-defined nowadays. Um, I, you know, yeah, no, you just, if, if pound defined lawful equals true and, oh yeah, no, no problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, my favorite formulation in that, in that quote there is a uh, crafty terrorist, which immediately I got a guy in a balakava with uh, popsicle sticks and wood glue. That's what, that's what, that's what leaps to mind. <laughs> yeah. They're so right. crafty. Yeah. They're so crafty. Mm -hmm. um that's amazing that's amazing I, it's you know so the first time around it was like okay nice try guys that was a ridiculous ask um you're not going to get what you want um especially in light of the as we discussed in the last episode i mean this whole thing is just about changing defaults it's not about like disabling encryption altogether um uh we've had encrypted hard drives for years and in fact the fbi themselves require that you know if you work for the fbi that you encrypt your hard drive um Mm -hmm. So, you know, nice work, FBI, enabling, aiding and abetting terrorism. Okay, so how how does that even work? So it's like, okay, I'm going to make a backdoor. Uh, so I'm going to make this software, and I'm going to put a backdoor in it that the FBI can get into. Okay, so, and I go to the Chinese government, and, you know, they're, or I want to sell that in China. Oh, I don't think that's going to work. And what if I go to... I mean, would the FBI or whoever be happy if um, I'm using software that was made in China that has Chinese backdoors in it? Um, you know, I don't think the FBI would want to use that. Yeah, you know, but, yep. but yep. yeah, exactly. I, I mean, you bring up a great point, which is, you know, you would think that the U.S. technology industry is just livid at the FBI director saying stuff like this, uh, because this is exactly the kind of thing that gets you banned from exports, right? Um, yeah. You think that if he gets his way, do you think for a moment uh, that we're going to be able to sell uh, Google phones, iPhones into the EU uh, or in China for that matter? No, of course not. Because mm -hmm. he says right there, it says right here on the tin that it's got a back door that only the FBI can open up. I mean, it's yeah. crazy. It's crazy. Lawful interception of communications. Yeah. So depending upon what country it is, it's lawful. <laughs> right. You know, I, I think different countries have different definitions of what's lawful yep. and, and who it's lawful for, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's just terrible. So I have a quote of the week. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. So this is a, a voice of reason here is uh, um, Bruce Schneier. One of the things that he said is that uh, you can't build a back door that only the good guys can walk through. So true. I'm going to stitch that on a sampler. 
you could have like a crafty terrorist do like a needlepoint thing. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, so uh, in part because of this, uh, I just find this whole thing so obnoxious. It's actually radicalizing me. Um, and it, by radicalizing, I mean it's actually getting me off my butt and doing some stuff I should have been doing in the first place. So uh, I added uh, TLS support to uh, digishow.org. Um, and, and some mm -hmm. other websites uh, that I control. Um, but uh, I also today, as a matter of fact, just encrypted all of all of my hard drives, all of them. Hmm. So my phone, my tablet, laptops, everything is encrypted now. Nice. Yeah. Um, so but it made me realize, though, that uh, once I had encrypted them, uh, I realized that this actually doesn't help me too much, I don't think, because uh, what I really need to do is enable remote wiping on all of these. Yep. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but that'll be for the next, that'll be, I need to wait for the next outrage, uh, to, to fuel me up, uh, to do that kind of thing. For now, I'm just going to be content with the fact that all this stuff is encrypted. And are you, and you don't need to reveal anything, but, but what, what happens if, uh, you, so you encrypt everything and you get hit by the beer truck. Do you have a plan in place to, for people to be able to, to recover the stuff you encrypted? Oh, sure. Yeah. So, uh, my wife and I have, uh, no, this is a great question actually. Um, so, uh, my wife and I have, uh, shared with each other, uh, some, a small number of essential passwords, uh, so mm -hmm. that, uh, so that if either of us is hit by a bus, uh, the, the other can recover, uh, data that they have left behind. Um, and, mm, okay. uh, so, and so, you know, take the passwords, put them in a lockbox, uh, so to speak. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, it's, it's actually, it, uh, gives me a little bit of peace of mind, um, uh, frankly, uh, yeah. to the idea that, cause if I, you know, if I suddenly disappear tomorrow, um, effectively my, especially given, you know, my job and my lifestyle, effectively my entire life is in my devices. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and if all that stuff was suddenly cut off, there would be very little record of me having existed at all. Um, mm -hmm. so, <laughs> yes. And, yeah. uh, so, uh, yeah, so pretty important. Um, just like, uh, just like you should have a last will and testament. You should also, uh, have some uh, kind of a key escrow system in place with your, uh, with your significant other, I think. Mm -hmm. How about you? Do you have a, do you have a system like that in place? Um, I do, but my wife probably doesn't know about it. Smart, smart, need It's, it's a need, need to know, you know, again. <laughs> Right, she's not ready. She's not ready yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's. I'm still doing the background investigation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So you know, we were talking about warm chocolate chip cookies. Uh, I don't know. If, I don't know mm -hmm. if you share this feeling, but uh, I feel like airplane food has actually improved over the years, um, robbing comedians of uh, some very well worn material. Um, I actually look forward to meals when I get them uh, on a flight. Now, uh, are you the same way, Dave? Are you... I don't know. I mean, I was used to flying on united where you know or this is continental back at the time where it would be like oh meals at meal time and and i almost never see it anymore um and it's just because largely i i do a lot of like regional jets so there's mm -hmm. you know at best i could like buy a bag of peanuts if i need to um but and and whenever i would see it it would be like kind of sketchy like I don't know, glue sandwiches or something that's like, you know, it's just like kind of yucky. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you're enjoying it. it. Is it, is it like so good that you would want to just like, especially with us not traveling as much, you, you probably want to enjoy the, the goodness of, of those sort of meals at home. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, Dave, I would, I would, how can I, how can I do something like that? 
Yeah. So you, you would subscribe to uh, Air Food One. <laughs> Please tell me more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So, um, so it's it's about twelve fifty um, each for each meal, mm-hmm. um, and then um, yeah, they, they would they would send you uh, they would uh, so LSG Sky Chefs. Um, oh, right. Those yeah. are the ones that. that, that yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 they, when you're on they, the tarmac, you see their trucks on the uh, park next to all the planes. You see the LSG logo. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So so this I mean, why waste time flying on an airplane when you could just have the meal just drop ship right to you? Why indeed. Why indeed. And actually, mm-hmm. Dave, now that, now that we're talking about it, this is a uh, life hack. Uh, you could actually subscribe mm-hmm. to the service and then take the meal with you onto the airplane. Oh, you blow their minds. You blow their minds. And in fact, you could walk up to the flight attendant and ask them to reheat it for you. Sorry, do you mind if I use your oven? <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. So so what else can I do to to kind of recreate the uh, the commercial f- flying experience? So there's there's a uh, Pan Am 747 that uh, it's like 300 bucks and um, you could sit in it and it's and it's basically they reenact um, uh, a flight from yesteryear. Cool. So it doesn't go anywhere. You basically go in this warehouse, there's an airplane in it. They have, uh, I, I guess this is before, they had stewardesses on mm-hmm. this plane. It's not flight attendants. It's, I'm, I'm talking stewardesses like Don Draper. You right, know, right, right. Like um, mini skirts. You could probably smoke like, on a plane. Yeah, yeah. yeah right, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's basically, so it's like 300 bucks. Um, and I think you can go cheaper and do like coach or whatever, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's uh, 300 bucks. You climb the staircase. Um, uh, you're offered a cocktail, a gourmet meal. Um, China and glassware is authentic Pan Am, and uh, it's approximately a, a four-hour experience. Wow! Does it include? Okay, so I got a bunch of questions now. Does it include turbulence? Nope. Oh, okay, that would be that's a disappointment. Um, no, you're sitting in a warehouse for four hours. <laughs> <laughs> and so, well, like, does it include other authentic elements, like uh, a guy who really, really wants to talk to you about his family sitting next to you? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pictures in his wallet, right? <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, of course, and then, yeah, that was my final question: was do they allow smoking on the flight? Uh, because that would, for the genuine experience, that would be pretty great. That would be pretty great. Yeah, so cool. Um, all right. Well, I'm not gonna. Uh, that seems like a, that seems like an awful long way to go uh, to recreate a vintage flying experience. Is there? Actually, you know what would be even better is, like, is there any way to improve the, once I'm in a plane, is there any way to improve my actual flight experience? Yep, yep. So, well, in, in the future, there will be, I'm sure. Um, so Airbus just got a patent for a virtual reality helmet that will make you forget that you're on an airplane. Huh. So my mind immediately jumps to Inception. So the way it works is, like, you imagine, like, to me, I saw the pictures of it, and I'll have a link in the show notes, but it reminds me of, like, uh, you know, when, when yeah, you go to like a beauty salon and then they have the, the hair dryer that you put your head in and all that. Mm-hmm. And not me, but, you know. Um, oh, that's cool. You got uh, a nice head of hair. You should be proud of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, but it kind of looks like that, that it sort of drops on and then you could, you could basically escape the, the airline experience. Which to me is a red flag that it's like if you have Airbus patenting ways to escape the experience of using their product. <laughs> right. I mean, I think you're solving, you're solving it wrong. You know, <laughs> right. it's just right. Yeah. Yeah. We can, uh, we can declare that a, a capitalism anti-pattern <laughs> if you're, yeah. if you are going out of your way to help a customer pretend like they're not using your product, that's yeah, that's rough. Mm-hmm. That's you're, you're in big, you're in bad shape. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. But what you could do though is you could you could get the virtual reality helmet mm-hmm. and have it project the Pan Am seven forty seven experience mm. and you could eat air food one. Right, right. And then as a and then to to finish the whole thing off, I could uh, give myself a, a TSA authentic TSA pad down. Blue glove treatment. <laughs> yep. I think we just found the show title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, similar to presidential style. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna believe me. You're gonna see blue blue glove treatment on Urban Dictionary if it's not already there. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So, uh, speaking of the TSA, uh, yeah, you, you found this. Uh, I saw this floating around too. This Nobel Prize story. This is just amazing. Yeah. So this guy won Nobel Prize, mm-hmm. and it's like his his grandmother wanted to see it, and she lives in Fargo, North Dakota. So it's like he was. I guess he he got it out there, but on the way back, um, he was like trying to take it through the Fargo TSA security, and. Um, Whenever you know he had it in his laptop bag, because you're probably not going to check your Nobel Prize gold medal, <laughs> um, you know, and send it through, you know, check the bag, you know, it'll never come back. Um, and so it went through the the X-ray machine, and since it's gold, it totally absorbed all the X-rays. So it was like totally like black, black, black on the screen, and it like freaked out the TSA guys, you know, so because it, it completely yeah. absorbed the X-rays. Right. Yeah, and uh, and they're like, well, sir, there's seems to be something in your bag. And, and, uh, he said, yeah, I think it's in this box. And he's like, Oh, what's in this box? And he, he's like, Oh, a large gold medal. And, and then they open it up and they said, well, what's it made out of like, <laughs> gold? <laughs> and, and, and he's like, uh, well, who gave this to you? And the guy's like, well, the King of Sweden. <laughs> and, and he's like, well, why did he, why did he give this to you? And he's like, because I helped discover the expansion rate of the universe was accelerating. And, and at this point, they're beginning to lose their sense of humor. And, and, uh, um, and he's like explained and there was a Nobel Prize. And their main question was, well, why are you in Fargo? So A fair yeah. question. A fair question. God, yep. That's awesome. So, yeah. So with, with Sean, with his Fed 50 award, he needs to, he needs to plan ahead. When he goes traveling with it. That's right, or at least have a uh, have a plausible reason why he's uh, trucking around that piece of acrylic, right? Because he's going to get some mm-hmm. uh, he's going to get some hard questions. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, let's see. All right. So looking in the news, what do we got? We get uh, so hacking back retali. Okay, yeah. So tell me about this story of retaliation. I don't understand this. What's what's going on here? Yeah. So this is where. Um, I guess people are tempted to, oh, somebody's hacking me. Well, I'll hack them back, and that'll that'll, you know, I'll sh- that'll show them, right? Um, and and the the term that they're using is called active defense. Mm, that sounds robust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and so um, and so it's it's so I guess people are getting frustrated over, um, you know, oh well, my my servers are getting hacked and everything so what i'll do is i'll I'll just go and hack them back and everything and to me i'm just like thinking that's a bad idea right because you know it's like you don't know uh, like it's so easy to spoof you know where the attack is coming from Mm -hmm. um you know it's like people will say that oh well this website or that website got hacked by servers in russia and well 
or servers in China, it doesn't mean that it was like Russians or the Chinese government or individuals. It could have been somebody in another country hacking the the Chinese or Russian systems to attack the American ones. So this is one of this is one of the most dangerous things about uh, computer attacks is that because you don't know where they're coming from. Um, there's the threat of retaliation is kind of empty uh, because the people who you are retaliating against don't even necessarily know for certain that it was you that is retaliating, right? It's actually indistinguishable mm -hmm. from another random attacker. Uh, so all of the, you know, it's, it's a little bit like applying rules uh, or intuitions that, you know, might work on a 19th century battlefield um, to mm -hmm. modern warfare. Like it just doesn't make sense. Uh, like as in terms of like human emotions, it makes sense because you might get some satisfaction out of retaliating, but um, it's not actually going to, in game theory-wise, it's you're not actually moving, you're not actually making any progress, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you may be attacking some grandmother's computer that got infected and turned into uh, a botnet, you know, part of a botnet. Mm -hmm. And so now you're attacking this grandmother's computer and all that. And, Terrible. What a messy, yeah. messy, messy world we live in. Crafty terrorists. Crafty, yeah. crafty terrorists. Um, mm -hmm. They're so crafty. Um, you know, so when I was first, mm -hmm. when I got my first broadband connection many years ago, uh, I was with a little company called Roadrunner. Remember them? Uh, and uh, so I ran my own mail server, right? Because I'm a nerd. And I started noticing this very weird traffic on my server. Uh, every time I sent an email, I was getting banged on by these like, corporate Roadrunner servers. And I finally mm. figured out that uh, as part of their spam detection system, when I sent an email, they were then basically attacking me right back, trying to make, trying to ensure that I was not a compromised server. Wow. Right. Which is, a, so, so a couple things, a enormously clever, right? That's like a really great way to kind of approach this problem. Um, second, uh, it felt really intrusive, right? Like I, Hey, listen, I'm just sending an email over here. Like, I don't need you, you know, I don't need you literally trying to hack into my server just because I'm trying to send an email. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, anyway, there's a, there's a link to an email thread that this kicked off on a uh, Declan McCullough's Polytech list back in like 2003, I think. Um, which, uh, anyway, you reminded me of this and, and I, I enjoyed reading back through the thread, uh, and kind of listen to the, the kinds of problems and the way that we were talking about them, uh, you know, almost 10 years ago now. Mm. Kind of fun. Interesting. Yeah. I tell you all this talk about security and plausible deniability and the crafty terrorists said really, I could use a drink, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. So this is like, for people that are wondering what to get you for Christmas, I, I think I found it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and don't worry about doubling up. I'm more than happy to get uh, get a number of these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, uh, Monsieur, the artificially intelligent robotic bartender. Oh, it's like music to my ears. That's amazing. Keep talking. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So it it looks like um, you know to me it's like I look at it. And it, it looks like you know how you have the like the old school like coffee vending machine where it's like, oh, I want coffee, I want cream, and you put in 25 cents and a cup, uh, a cup drops down and you get a really bad cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. um, it kind of reminds me of that, but just a little bit more like the iPhone version of it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also like web-enabled and, you know, so you could actually, um, it, it it's integrates with Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and uh, Zigbee for uh, Arduino fans that are out there. Um, so 
it, it will monitor your drink consumption and you can receive alerts when your estimated blood, blood alcohol level is high um, and, and uh, even provide assistance with getting you a cab. Um, and then it has uh, social network integration so you could tell your friends how much you drink. Um, what could go wrong there? <laughs> um, nobody's watching that. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the thing I wonder, you know, so it, it looks like a thing that's about as big as a microwave. And, um, you know, it's like, oh, it, it could be awesome and everything. But I, I wonder if that is, does this mean that this is like the end of the, the mixologist and this, this is like, you're going to see this at TGI Fridays and it's going to eliminate the need for a good bartender. Yeah, this is, well, this is going to eliminate the need for a bad bartender, right? Because uh, this yes. is going to be, I think the drinks that come out of this thing are going to be the equivalent of the kind of drinks you get at like a Marriott Courtyard, right? It's like a like a premix, whatever Manhattan, right? And so pour this thing into a glass full of ice, shake it for ten seconds, and then pour it into a glass and serve it to the customer, right? That's the, I think that's the level of uh, of mixology that's happening here. Um, not that that's a bad idea. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's you know. Yeah. Uh, it's certainly not going to replace competent bartenders. Um, but it's, you know, it got me thinking about, uh, how pervasive automation is growing, um, and how we are becoming much better at automating processes and doing so faster than we are at coming up with things to automate. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, people who would otherwise be making a, uh, a living being a bad bartender, uh, which is a noble profession, um, you know, are going to, are actually going to get replaced with, uh, with one of these monster machines. Um, seems like I'm not sure what the upside is. Making it easier to serve bad drinks doesn't, doesn't strike me as, uh, something that's going to advance civilization. Yeah. Well, I mean, I wonder if they, if it could be like, if, if it has enough inputs where it could do like really exotic things and then you could have, it, it, it to me it kind of reminds me of like the difference between having a jukebox in a bar and a live band. Yeah. So you can have a really good live band or a really bad live band, or you know you can listen to Freebird by <laughs> Leonard Skinner, or 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 have the band cover it if you want, you know. And um and so it could be hit or miss either way. Um, but you're sort of guaranteed a consistent experience with the jukebox, and you know that. If it's a good song, it's a good song. But I wonder if that would also um, create an opportunity to have, like, I don't know, celebrity bartenders or whatever that could have these drink recipes that get sent off to these uh, places where, you know, people could come up with a, a gourmet drink or whatever, like the Wolfgang Puck of mixology, mm-hmm. and then it gets sent out to, like, everybody else. And And with all the network integration, you know, maybe they get a kickback for every drink that 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 gets sold, you know, like a fraction of a penny is like a royalty, like hearing a song on the radio, or right. and that could actually create more of a uh, a way for the really good mixologists to be able to um, have a sustainable business outside of just hoping for good tips. Yeah, see, now you're getting somewhere important because one of the th- like you, one of the things that struck me about this was how wired the the equipment was. Um, so I mean, it's mm-hmm. you know you talk about uh, what it's Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, Zigbee. It's got social network integration. It'll help you get a cab. It'll estimate your BAC. All this other stuff. That seems to me like the Emacs of cocktail machines, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's I'm surprised it doesn't also check email. Um, yes. So the 
uh, how wired it is actually may, does make it a lot more valuable. It makes it like way better than a like crappy coffee machine in our office, for example, right? Mm -hmm. Um, where mm -hmm. you drop a little packet in and it spits out hot water through the packet and you get a bad cup of coffee. Um, this seemed like it had the possibility of getting instructions sent to it from afar, uh, which, uh, which would make it a lot more fun, right? Like if you could actually like share recipes with your friends and instead of mm -hmm. like texting them a web page or trying to type it all into it, into a, into an email, you just literally send them the recipe to their machine. Um, that would actually be super fun and buy them a drink and buy them a drink. Exactly. Right. You know, and so you could do it at the bar or if your friend is, you know, it's his birthday and he's like at a bar far away. You could, you could send him a drink and it's like on his little wallet and he can cash it in there or save it for some other time. And you could have like a whole network of these things and he can go into any bar that supports that particular thing. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Exactly right. Uh, so that's, a, so the machine has the potential to be much more interesting than it's, it sounded when, when we first started talking about it. Um, it was mm -hmm. pretty great. It's not going to replace my favorite bartenders, but uh, especially if they start wiring it up like that and uh, facilitating a little bit of sharing. It's actually a nice test case for what we might see with 3D printing, right? I mean, this is the promise of mm -hmm. everybody having a 3D printer is doing exactly what we're talking about just with, um, you know, statues of monkeys instead of cocktails. Right. Yeah. It's like the Star Trek uh, replicator to, you know, the door opens and the mule slides out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Pretty great. Yep. Pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. So there's one other thing going back to scaring people. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so Facebook, um, there's some, I saw some press there about them coming up with an anonymous app, um, that could, um, it is a way to avoid trolls, uh, by, ha by letting people have a secret identity. Uh, so I haven't been following Facebook that closely, but can you not already have a pseudonym on Facebook? Um, well, the, uh, you might have seen the press about, you know, people with certain, like you have to use your real name and all that, and they wouldn't let people use their other names or pseudonyms and stuff like that, and they were really pushing back on that. Oh, okay. Um, okay. And I'm sure there's nothing stopping somebody from having a fake account or something. But you could think about it as, um, like, in, like you go into Facebook and somebody posts something, um, you can't... Uh, you know, you go to comment on that post while well, your name is associated with that. And everybody knows that it was you that said whatever that was for or against that politician or whatever news story or, you know, religious views, all, all the things that are like typically radioactive when you're talking to groups of people. And um, Facebook is coming up with a way for you to, I guess, post and comment on things anonymously. So um, you could you could comment on things and people don't know who commented on them but they know that they know who you are so your identity is still known to Facebook so if you end up get getting flagged over and over and over again as a spammer you actually have to like create a new account and that account is actually tied to your cell phone number and so that would require you to come up with a new cell phone number and and so it would make it really hard for there to be like the the internet bull, bullying and the trolls and all that stuff. I, I'll be honest with you, Dave. That was bewildering. I that's it's that's like a puzzle wrapped in a joke. Uh, so <laughs> how how would adding this layer of anonymity, this this actually false anonymity, because Facebook still knows who you are, 
um, how does that kill, how does that prevent trolls from happening? Um, because a troll yeah. is still going to, I mean, trolls are trolls, right? So they're still going to use whatever accounts they've got. Um, it seems like introducing the idea of anonymity actually makes trolls possible. Yeah, well, the thought was that would allow somebody who isn't a troll to speak out on something that may be like socially awkward or maybe disagreeing with the mainstream on whatever. And for a, but and and so, on, if there were people that get, would get flagged, I guess you could flag the certain posts as far as like, oh, well, that's considered quote unquote hate speech or whatever. Um, you get enough of those, and then you know that account gets locked. Oh, and and that account is associated with your with you and it's also associated with your cell phone number so like even if you delete your account and then you go and create a brand new one um it's you know you you have to i guess enter your cell phone number for verification and so that would mean you would have to get a new cell phone number and so for people that just want to do like burner accounts where they could trash somebody and get out um it it makes that um, cause more work for them. Right. Okay. So this, this is a, this is a complicated solution to a very complicated problem that Facebook actually created in the first place. Right. Um, and they're going to profit off of it. And they're going to profit off of it. So also uh, they seem to be using this word anonymous pretty casually. Uh, cause nothing anonymous ab- login. <laughs> right. Think about that. <laughs> like none of, cause none of this stuff sounds anonymous, uh, except to the people except to the people reading whatever you're posting while you're doing this, right? Because it's not anonymous. It's Facebook knows exactly who you are. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, but they're not going to do anything with that information. Oh, yeah, for sure. And they're definitely not going to pay attention to <laughs> where you're commenting, who you're looking at, what you're thinking about, uh, because they're definitely not interested in advertising to people who obviously have something to hide. Right. Right. Because that's, yeah. that's the other and, thing here and, is like there's a signaling. Like, oh, wait, this guy's using the anonymous app. That's obviously this guy's gonna got a lot of interesting stuff, right? Like this this guy's worth targeting um, if he's yeah. got something to hide. He's passionate. He's passionate enough to talk about this or that anonymously or whatever. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden, your ad behaviors or mm-hmm. you know the ads that are presented to you are going to be changed, or your profile is going to be changed. So yeah, you know, it does it probably doesn't anonymize what you're saying to Facebook? Mm-hmm. I'm sure they're using that. And to me, that targeting becomes so much richer. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So instead of you holding back, you're letting you're telling Facebook all about you, um, even stuff that you wouldn't tell the public. And and so and then they could use that to uh, do uh, better targeted ads at you. It's just perverse. It's just it's a it's a this whole Facebook thing. I you know, I, I we don't often talk about why I'm not on Facebook, but it's basically this. Right. Like Facebook just seems like a mm-hmm. sucker's game. Um like for the amount of, I mean, for the amount of value that you get out of it, is it worth trading with a company like this? Uh, that was rhetorical. Uh, obviously, for me, the answer is no. Uh, other people may feel different, yeah. but uh, it just gives me the creeps. Um, okay, Dave, can we talk about events coming up without telling Facebook? Yeah, they probably know. Um, <laughs> but giving, speaking of giving people the creeps, mm. um, uh, Lauren got an email from. Um, uh, one of the guys at NASA saying that, hey, looks like uh, the Raspberry Pi Foundation blogged about you. Whoa. And she and and what was funny is it it was like I guess they picked up on the Raspberry Pi Today article interview that she did, and um, 
the on the Raspberry Pi Foundation, they read that article and they wrote a blog post about that interview. Oh. And and Lauren was all creeped out about it. She's like, how you know they didn't ask my permission for this, and they went and did this, and you know, and they got my age wrong and everything. And and I'm like, Lauren, no, that's okay. This is a news story. You know, they're they're treating this as like like news. This is a good thing. And and think about the the publicity that you got compared to the amount of effort you had to put into it. And it was a positive article. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just changing that perspective for it it took a little bit yeah she's a she's a public figure now um you know she isn't uh that's interesting that's got to be that's that's really got to be kind of a switch that flips in her head right um we're like oh right i can people can just write about stuff that i'm doing without my permission right that's exactly yeah yeah that's that's interesting yeah and creep and creepy would creep me out too um that makes yeah 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 yeah. Yep. Speaking of public figures, mm-hmm. um, you're going to be a public figure in Dallas and in uh, DC. Yeah. Well, DC first. Yeah, DC first. On so on Thursday, I'll be in. Uh, I'll be at the Red Hat Forum uh, in DC. I'm actually looking forward to it. I got a. I got some new material, Dave. We're trying out some new stuff. Yep. Uh, and yep. Uh, so it, it'll be it, it'll be fun. Um, the, so this is like a, this is a big deal. I mean, we've been doing these Red Hat forums around the world. I think we've talked about them previously on the show, um, mm-hmm. but it's targeted at you know it's like CTO level stuff, like you know senior architect folks, um, and really letting them know kind of what Red Hat's working on, uh, what we plan on doing in the future. Uh, so I'm, it should be fun. I'm actually we haven't we haven't done anything like this before, uh, so it'll be cool to uh, it'll be cool to try it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you you gave me a preview of your slides, and I I really like them, and um, I've seen previous iterations of them that I've I've shared with other folks, and they've they've liked it too. So it's it's they're in for a treat uh, when they see it. Cool. Oh well, that's nice of you to say. All right, so uh, you heard it here first. It's uh, the Red Hat Forum in Dallas and DC. They're going to be slam dunks, and uh, we'll include the links to those yes. in the show notes. No pressure, Gunner. All right, so uh, pop quiz time. Ready? I'm ready. Okay, so what percent of vulnerabilities uh, fixed by Red Hat from August 2013 to August 2014 were found by Red Hat employees? Uh, 100% because we are perfect and uh, require help from nobody. Nope. Oh. Nope. 17%. Oh. Okay, next next question. Right. Uh, what percent of those uh, did Red Hat know about before the public did? Uh, 100% because we are omniscient. No. Uh, we can't say because it's proprietary information. <laughs> no, the correct answer is 46.2%. Oh. So question number three. So is, is there a way that you can measure this information yourself? Well, we would need the data, right? Um, and we, we, yeah. we wouldn't publish data like that. That seems, that seems like, uh, that seems something we would keep pretty close to our, close to the best. That was what I thought until um, Mark Cox put a, a nice uh, source of vulnerabilities uh, blog post out on the on the security blog. Oh. Um, so, yeah, and it's I was surprised. Like all these things are right from there. You know, it's like you would think stuff like you know what did you know and when did you know it and when you know when did you find out about this thing and when was it made public? That stuff you don't want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, once it's public knowledge, we. Put that stuff out there, and and we we actually publish the the data file that, um, you know, we can we can get uh, uh, Eric Morrissey to to do an R job on it up in OpenShift on us uh, for us, um, and see you know 
run the numbers for us, but it was pretty cool to see, you know, like we, we published the date of when we found out of, you know, even, you know, before it was made public and when our stuff came out and you could do all those, uh, run all those numbers. Huh. Okay. So you can actually measure how Mark Cox is, how well Mark Cox is doing his job. Yes. That's, that's, yeah, I am. I'm not, I, everybody can do that. Yeah. I don't think I would be willing to submit myself to that kind of scrutiny. Yeah. That's like, yeah. good for, good for him. Um, mm-hmm. So what? So Dave, help me out. Why would uh? So if you're a Red Hat customer, or if you're not a Red Hat customer, like why would you care about this? Because he's not doing it out of the goodness of his heart, right? Like he's doing it presumably because it makes Red Hat look good. So what's the what's the benefit? What's the upside? Well, to me, it's like these are the type of questions that you want to ask whenever you go to when you know whenever you're talking to get support for something from a vendor. You want to know how deep their bench is from a security standpoint. Mm-hmm. You don't want people to find out when there's a vulnerability whenever you do. They, you want them to be handing you a fix whenever you hear about it. Um, and, and so I'll, you, know, you, you, want, you want to make sure that the vendors you work with are being proactive and, and they're measuring these things and they care about these things. And then they, you, know, you, can't, you can't improve the process if you don't measure it. And I think by them publishing the numbers also puts them on the spot to uh, demonstrate improvement as well mm-hmm. um, you know from a metric standpoint too so I, I think that was that was you know it's pretty courageous uh, for us to publish um, but it, it you know it, it sort of gives us something to live up to too yeah 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 I agree so when when you're not on an airplane or you're not in an airplane simulator or things like that. Um, let's say you're, you're at home and you're, you're working and stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you listen to the radio or have noise on in the background or anything like that? Uh, depends on the kind of work that I'm doing. Um, if I'm like, if I'm literally programming, if I'm coding, um, I, I tend to do better with, uh, with a certain kind of music on. Um, but in general, I... Uh, I'm not able to work with uh, with music on, uh, especially as I get older. I've lost, I've just lost the ability to do that. Uh, how about you? Yeah, no, I'm very like single threaded. Um, it, it's like, it, and it's to the point where it's like if it's reading or it's working or stuff like that. I, I like if I'm doing email and all that, like I can't hear. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm just so you know, like tunnel vision into what I'm working on. I mean, I could have a radio on, but I wouldn't hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and depending upon what the music was, it may actually be a distraction that would that would sort of get me out of that zone. So I tend to prefer uh, silence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. that's interesting. I, it, so uh, when I'm as as I said, like when I'm coding, uh, I can have music on. In fact, prefer music on, but it can't be music with any lyrics. Like I can't have any words. Um, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Or if it has words, it has to be something I've heard so frequently that I can like tune it out pretty easily um and so it's really yeah. just like kind of like comfort music uh or it gives me yeah. a little bit of rhythm um for some reason that that helps me out um but uh let's see so you know it's interesting with uh with uh, soren being born um my son now uses a, a noise machine to kind of filter out um uh, kind of the you know noise from the street and you know us clanging around downstairs mm. and stuff like that and that interestingly has started to become a distraction for me um having uh having this like kind of white noise going all the time um i find it difficult to sleep during um do you Hmm. do you have a have you have you had that have you had that problem um 
Well, not not as much, but uh, what it reminded me of the hotel this week that of the you know like you stay in those kind of hotels that have the air conditioner like mounted to the mm-hmm. underneath the window. I hate that. And then it's like when it it's it's like a Harley starting up in the <laughs> middle of the night, you know, and it's and 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 it's like going and it's just hum for a while and then it's quiet. It's like dead quiet. And you have a choice of you could leave the fan on the whole time and it's really loud. Or you do auto and you get woke up every like, you know, half hour that the thing mm-hmm. turns on. I set it to auto and try to hope for the best. But, um, yeah, I with with uh, I, I try to go for like total silence, total darkness as much as I can mm-hmm. um, without you know and any like anything like that. Yeah, yeah. But one of the things that I did see is there's there's a, a web page that does uh, noise machines. Oh, it was really cool. And so you could try this with with Soren. Um, so they're they have different things. So instead of just you could do white noise if you want. And they have I, I guess what gray noise and I don't know different you know like like shades of of, of noise brown, that you could deal brown with. Brown noise, pink noise, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And and so there's one called uh, in utero, which is the sound of being in inside the womb. Oh, I thought you. I thought it was going to be the Nirvana album. No, no, that's that's totally that's a different website. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yeah. So they have that, and so like you listen to it, and it's like all like, like, like you're in this muffly sort of thing and all that. And it's it's kind of cool. Um, they have one for like a coffee shop. They have a rail car one that is just like, just the, the hypnotic, you know, clank 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 of a you know being on a on a train. Oh, I'm right? all about that one. Um, I would love that one. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. And then. Uh, they have electric waves where where you have your choice of you could do um, uh, 60 hertz if you want to pretend you're in the U.S. or 50 hertz in the EU. So like you know how you have the fluorescent light bulbs that just hum, um, you can get that sound <laughs> and do that. Which who I would, would hate. <laughs> I know I was gonna say who would do that on purpose. Like I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go to this website and listen like to a, <laughs> listen to the sound of a transformer it, dying. <laughs> yeah, that's what they use in Guantanamo. Or something. Yeah, right. Um. But but my favorite is I, there are two of them. One of them is um, ocean waves. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like to me that's like really relaxing, and I could actually listen to that. And it's like I I just it just lowers my blood pressure. And there's another one that's um, a spaceship. So it sounds like you're on the Enterprise with that that hum, um, uh-huh. which is kind of neat. Oh, that's great. No, yeah. and I like a, so uh, I like uh, ocean waves the best. That's actually what I use when I'm on an airplane. Um, because ah. I don't have noise canceling headphones, so I put on the ocean waves to kind of overlay on top of the jet noise, and I can't hear a thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I listen to uh, Nirvana in utero. <laughs> no, um, yeah, exactly. And and but what's also ironic, what you could do next time when you're on the airplane is they have another one for uh, an airplane cabin. Perfect. Perfect. Right. I wonder what happens so you if you could, play that while you're in an airplane cabin. Yeah, does it cancel out or does it get louder? Hmm. All right. Yeah. Right, so you could you could sit on the plane, listen to the airplane cabin noise machine. You could wear the virtual reality helmet of the 747 and eat your airline food. <laughs> nice. Nice. I see what you're wearing. Did there. Wearing that inflatable bed. <laughs> I like it. You brought it full circle. That's a closed loop to mm-hmm. this week. That's great. <laughs> nice. 
so Dave, if folks want to listen to these noises, um, or maybe they just want to listen to the FBI whining about uh, encrypted devices, uh, what, what? <laughs> I think that's a channel too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what yeah. website can they go for something like that? Yeah, they want to go to https yes colon slash slash dgshow.org. So D's and Dave, G's and Gunner, show.org. Awesome. All right, Dave. Uh, I'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, thanks.